Hi, this is Nick Spencer. And this is Steve Lieber. We're the co-creators of The Superior Foes of Spider-Man. And you're listening to Amazing Spider-Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdin, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Giannacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, and now an editor at Superior Spider Talk. Dan, not to reveal how the sausage is made, but you've updated the notes. I, I finally did, Mark. <laughs> I that's figured ex- you'd appreciate that. That's exciting, people. You don't understand. Anyway, continue on with the, with the show. Yes, of course. Thanks for joining us, everybody, for our third episode of our coverage of Volume 4. I'm still uncomfortable saying Volume 4, just because Volume 3 seems so short. But yes, we're covering Volume 4 of Amazing Spider-Man, that is, and we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, and for this episode, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 4, Number 3, by Dan Slott and Giuseppe Camancoli, and then we'll be reviewing your comments and emails. We got a bunch of emails today, so I'm pretty excited to talk about all of them. Uh, but Mark, we were introduced to Dan Slott's interpretation of Spider-Man in his Spider-Man Human Torch book. So I think it's going to come to no surprise to anyone that our, one of the first characters he chooses to revisit in his relaunch is the Human Torch. Let's get right into our discussion of what we thought about this issue. Alrighty, Dan. Uh, so, Amazing Spider-Man Volume Four, Number Three. Um, you know, the, not a ton to talk about in detail with this issue. I mean, this was. Um, I guess I would start by saying that I think of the first three issues that we've had so far. This one kind of feels the most self-contained, and the, the new status quo with Parker Industries, the most um, non-essential. Uh, to that, if you know what I mean, like, I mean, obviously, you know, the, 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 the conflict is set up by the fact that Peter and Parker Industries have purchased the Fantastic Four's old home, the Baxter building, and that has Johnny Storm, Human Torch really upset. But at the end of the day, this really isn't a story about Parker Industries. This is a story about Spidey and Torch having to work their stuff out, which is something that, I mean, you know, has been a part of the Spider-Man comics for decades since the very beginning. 
I don't know that I fully agree with you about that. Uh, I think there's a lot of this issue that really operates as exposition about the new status quo. You know, who's running what and what people's relationships are and reintroducing old characters. I would say, you know, given your description, I would use that to describe the previous issue where it felt like this kind of self-contained adventure away from all of that. Um but well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess it's an agreed. We're we're already disagreeing and agreeing about disagreeing, Dan. Because I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I I feel like of the three issues, you you can take away Parker Industries here, and the 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 actual conflict would remain the same. Well, I don't know about that. The conflict between the Human Torch and Spidey is that Spidey bought the Baxter Building for Parker Industries. It seems but kind of essential. But it's just, but it's it's the usual betrayal and misunderstanding between Spidey and Human Torch, which oh, is something yes. that which is something that we've seen dozens of times. And and you know, I mean, yes, the, the, it's it's advanced by the new status quo in terms of what they're fighting about this time, but. You know what's what's this comic about? This comic's about the fact that they're fighting and they have to work through their new their new status in lives. I mean, which we really don't know what the Fantastic Four situation is because Secret Wars hasn't been resolved yet. Um, but obviously, it's not. Uh, they're not on the up. And, they're not on. The, they're not on the upswing. It would seem. <laughs> um, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, whether it's on a beach or in the Baxter Building, it seems that Spidey and Human Torch are doomed to fight each other. Yeah, uh, and 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 it's a role reversal from what we normally have. I mean, normally Spidey is the kind is has you know in all of in most of their classic stories, Spidey is the one down on his luck in one way or another. And the Fantastic Four are kind of more of the well, they're the first family of comics, you know. They're 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 the they're the ones in the penthouse or in the Baxter Building, um, and or just been, in a house having a party. Yes. Um, <laughs> Well, that was his girlfriend's house. Right. Um, so, you know, but, they, I mean, they're literally in a penthouse <laughs> um, most of the time. But that's that's obviously been reversed. So, okay, point made. But I still – I I felt once, once, once we were into – immersed in this story, like the actual, you know, all of the Parker industry stuff didn't really feel like it was at the forefront for me. And that's and that's actually part of the reason why I actually like this issue. I don't want to say as much as the previous two issues, but I liked this issue probably more than a lot of other people did. Well, what I liked about this issue is I think aside from the beginning, which we'll get into, is that I think that this issue has the most heart of any of the three stories we've seen so far. And whether it's earned or not is, is something else, but, uh, you know... I finally felt like, oh, this is a sympathetic Peter Parker that I like reading about, um, rather than this kind of cold, business-facing Peter Parker. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and, and I don't know, like this 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 Peter seemed to be a little more relatable to me than the previous one. I mean, you know, we've 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 had this debate now through two episodes about. Is this, you know, all this stuff, is this really just a, an Iron Man comic hiding as, you know, pre, you know pretending to be a Spider-Man comic? And, and to me, this, this of the three felt the most truly Spider-Man comic, right? I mean, there's a lot of familiar themes here in terms of Peter and his relationships, whether it's as Spider-Man or as Peter Parker, which, you know, introduces, or I should say reintroduces Harry Osborn into the mix here. 
Did you know that Harry Osborne was Peter's best friend? Uh, he 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 might have reminded me a few times, <laughs> just a couple times. Well, you know, but you know what though? Like that's if you go back and read those those Stan and Romita issues, that 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 comes up a lot too. So uh, that wouldn't shock me if that was Slot kind of having a playful nod at that the old the old Stan the Man scripting back in the day. Oh, I'm not necessarily complaining about it. I mean, because even Slot kind of makes fun of it. In the book, so like, I'm okay with it if Slot kind of pokes fun at himself and his own writing and exposition. Um, I was going to say, you know, we didn't get a lot of camo, comicoli, uh, quirky inventions and vehicles this time around, but we did get some Tootsie Roll hair, and boy, did that Tootsie Roll (laughs) hair look tight and good, right? (laughs) How many hours do we suspect that he spends getting into those lines? I mean. I mean, you know, here, here. I mean, that 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 was, uh, you know, not to keep going back to the '60s, but that was Romita esque Tootsie Roll hair. God it, bless. It, it's one of those things as the artwork becomes more realistic and you get more shaders for the colors, and the Tootsie Roll hair just stands more starkly out. Like, who has hair like this? I, I would love to go to a convention one day and bump into someone that just pulled off the Tootsie Roll hair. That's how, that that would be the ultimate cosplay to me. Someone who goes as Harry Osborne and can actually do their hair to look like Harry Osborne. <laughs> I'm surprised I have not seen that yet. But I guess it's such a such a, such a small detail. But uh, man, that would be great. Well, listeners, if you're out there and you're into cosplay, make it happen and send in your photo because uh, you'd be our hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into the meat of this issue. Uh, you know, it starts off with, I guess, like a punch, really, uh, um, you know, initiated by Peter unveiling that he's bought the Baxter building. But we get this nice scene outside of the Baxter building featuring, uh, I guess, a long-awaited return of, of J. Jonah Jameson. Has he started his pizza company yet? No, he hasn't, although i got to be honest with you, Dan. Like, I, I almost forgot that he was with the Fact Channel because that's like – you know, we talked about how short Volume 3 was, but it also seems like forever and a year ago. Well, yeah, it kind of has been, right? I mean, Renew Your Vows was what, three or four months, five months? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, between Renew Your Vows kind of, you know, bringing it to a standstill, but also, like, you know, that's that, like, that initial status quo involving Jonah and stuff was more or less tabled for all the Spider Verse shenanigans. And, and then, like, you, you know, we kind of, I mean, did we even come back to any of it when, when Spider Verse was over? I guess a little bit with Silk, but you know what I mean? Like, that, like, we probably really haven't had substantial Jonah time with Peter since since last April. <laughs> sure, that plus the eight months uh, time gap, plenty of time to start a pizza company. I, you know, it's going to happen eventually, and I heard that he's going to utilize emojis uh, to order pizza. Interesting, because <laughs> he's because because you know. Jonah will not be left out and not let the competition get one up on him. So text him your emojis to Papa Jonah. Actually, text him a mustache, and he'll know that you want pizza. There you go. There you go. Well, so, yeah, he shows up as kind of like a reporter, which I guess is a little different than uh, before. Because before he kind of occupied this kind of Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity space, 
where he was just kind of this uh, raging TV opinion personality. But now right. he's kind of taking it to the streets. But, I mean, in, in no other fashion than you would expect from Jonah, which is just taking credit for for everything he can. Yeah, it's a, it was a nice moment. I, I mean, not not like warm and fuzzy nice, but like I I, I enjoyed this moment immensely. I mean, you know, now I, I love Jonah. I'm not gonna lie, um, if you couldn't tell. But um, just to just to kind of have him and just have him be simultaneously so like grown worthy, but you still kind of have to love him, you know. <laughs> Because he's Jonah, and this is what Jonah does, one way or another. You know, it's all about him. Um, what what and- I think is so funny about Jonah being in this role is that Jonah, you know, there's always been crazy news media, but like Jonah was invented as like a cartoon character version of the news media. But like as time goes on, he fits more and more in with how the news media operates. He's like almost like a TMZ character here, chasing after people and, and hounding them. And, uh, and the, the, this role is a great, I almost like send up of the modern news media. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, are we giving, are we giving the creators too much credit? I don't know. I don't know, but, <laughs> but it, it, it's a smart placement of Jonah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and of course, you know, I mean, to kind of keep going with the issue here. So with, with, with this revelation, uh, Johnny, uh, of, of Peter having the back spilling, I mean, Johnny is steamed. I, I gotta tell you, I mean, like as much as I, I, I did enjoy just the kind of simplicity of this issue. Um, I mean, I did feel that the actual fighting between the two characters was a little forced. I don't know. Like, I just feel like, you know, especially without the context of why, the Fantastic Four are kind of down because we're not allowed to know because of scheduling snafus. <laughs> um, I don't know. Did, did, did that bother you at all, Dan? Yeah, it really bothered me, uh, especially because it's kind of the backbone that the rest of the issue is built off of. And I, I get the idea that Johnny's at a bar and he might be hammered, but I never got a sense of that if that was meant to be what we were to take away from it, that he's kind of drunk and gets angry and flies off the handle. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that Johnny flew off the handle. Uh, but this is the guy that when he, like, quote-unquote died, uh, you know, bequeathed his role in the Fantastic Four to Peter Parker. And, you know, we're going to talk about in, in our next episode the Spider-Man Human Torch book. These guys have a long history together. It just seems weird to me that he would – go that crazy so quickly and not to mention like wouldn't johnny have some stake in the baxter building i mean i guess we don't really know but he's been living there forever does he have any kind of ownership over it wouldn't he know that peter had bought the baxter building yeah i mean i i i I gotta go back and read the issues but i mean like the the last run of issues of fantastic four kind of you know with the the james robinson run that kind of you know led up to its cancellation um, kind of, unless I'm misremembering and, you know, if a listener can, wants to correct me by all means, but it kind of insinuated that, you know, because of some, some issue, like legal issues and stuff like that, that the Fantastic Four had more or less kind of lost control of a lot of what they had a stake in. Hmm. I haven't um, read that series yet. I only read it um, from Hickman's run. It's good. Uh, I would, I, I, 
you know, I don't know if it it's it might be essential to understanding the current status quo of things, but um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's like you know you must read this now kind of a, <laughs> kind of a story, but sure. um, but yeah, I mean, so that was I mean that so I guess from that angle, the the logistics of you know, and I saw this in a few other comments elsewhere about the logistics of ownership of the building. And, and I, I think with that in mind, that didn't bother me. It was just more about, like you said, I mean, we, we, we've seen these characters have so much growth, um, to, as, as, you know, in terms of their relationship with each other and maturity and this kind of like, I mean, this, this brought, this brought you back to like the very early Lee Dicko days where like, you know, neither one was going to even, pretend to give the other the benefit of the doubt. And I, I just felt that, that it lacked context for that. Yeah. And I also thought that the fight itself, um, you know, as a feature of the story was, I mean, like it was, I thought common Coley rendered it beautifully, but yes. it is very like short and, and, and almost kind of like jokey. And in some ways I, I, I like that. Like there's a line about the spider mobile that like ticks him off. And I thought that was funny. Like that yeah. he would be so incensed by something like that. By then I had bought into it, you know. Right. Um, but it is kind of like just kind of very brief for a fight. Um, and I kind of I kind of miss a, a knockout down drag out fight with Spider-Man. But I, I don't know. That's not really a complaint. But it was really short. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can see I can see your issues there. I mean, but like, you know, I feel like once. Once some of the silliness got through, I, I really enjoyed the relationship dynamics and the character centric centricness of this issue. And, and again, that might be why, um, you know, my review is probably more positive than yours would have been, Dan. And, you know, obviously when we get to our grades, that'll define itself as well. Um, you know, just, just, um, worth taking. A couple notes. I mean, we we already referred to Harry Osborne's return. Uh, another character, not nearly as historically significant as Harry, who makes an appearance in this, was Clayton Clash Cole. Um, and uh, you know, and again, we, we, we I think we're going to disagree on this, but like, I didn't I didn't mind Clayton here. I, I was kind of like, all right, you know, I feel like for me, I felt like we were giving the character some face time in a way that was. I guess more meaningful in a way than it had been in since he got reintroduced in the modern era. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Although I, I feel like the plot that uh, it, you know we get from him here of him kind of reactivating his clash persona, or just at least using his tech to try to uh, bring things down. First of all, it brings questions to mind of why does he have his tech on him? Because um, his his internal, uh, you know, monologuing kind of suggests otherwise. He has divorced himself from this thing and really wants to, you know, right his ship. And yet his act, his ha- having the tech is kind of problematic. But it felt like it was trying to be a bigger plot point uh, for this character. And it, to me, it kind of just detracted, you know, from the over like the main story that we were following it's like i i want one a story not like another story fighting to be an a story in that in that book okay i see <clears throat> i see what you're saying um 
Yeah, I mean, I guess just for me, I, you know, these are characters I feel like we we should be checking in on because, like, in, based on previous storylines, Slot has kind of established them as being important, and and I feel if you're going to do it, this is the way to do it rather than something that I feel Slot did a little too much in volume three, which was kind of like, you know, literally just poke your head in on somebody and then two panels later be out of there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. I mean, he's actually giving these characters beats and, 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 and reason to reason to have conflict about, I mean, whether the conflict is ultimately sent, you know, logical or, you know, interesting or compelling that that's up for debate. But I mean, I don't know. Like, like I said, to me, this this was the most I found myself thinking about Clayton in a meaningful way since the the Learning to Crawl miniseries. I mean, you know, like it, it wasn't just you know a panel of FaceTime and then uh, and then he's just you know doing nothing else. Yeah, um, I guess I guess for me, it's like uh, it's not the pro- a problem isn't like with Clayton. Cole and his depiction itself. It's just there's so many of these like aside stories that like I wonder when we're ever going to get back to any of these or if they're all just going to kind of be background stories. Like I'm kind of ready for like if Cole has a story to be told, like let's tell that story like rather than like peppering it loosely, you know, like we're probably going to be in another country next week, you know, yeah. or, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, I feel like almost like, I mean, you could say through the first three issues, that seems to be the narrative um, structure of what's, what, and, and, you know, we've, we've kind of said it almost tongue in cheekly, you know, the whole dance slot playing the long game thing. But like, I, I almost feel like the way this, this volume has been structured this, thus far, there actually is a long game being played here. Like I, I uh, like I don't know. I feel like there's a. I'm, and we could talk about the ending too at some point. But like I mean, the, like the way he's ended these these three issues, there there there's a lot of stuff. Like I mean, I almost feel like kind of like how when I was reading the first few half dozen issues of Superior, like I feel like stuff's getting set up here for like twenty five thirty issues worth of stories. Yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I get that sense too. And uh Dan Slott did an interview on CBR this week basically saying as much. Like I've got this all planned out and that he kind of used his time with the lower book number doing Renew Your Vows to kind of plot the whole thing all the way to the end. So it it gives me some uh, optimism absolutely uh about um, where this book is going to head. Yeah. I mean, whereas, and, and, you know, like it's, 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 well, we, and we could talk about some of the structural things in a little bit. Um, but let's just talk a few about a few more, uh, beats. So, um, Harry beyond his Tootsie roll hair, I mean, you know, we, we, he changed his name. He's, he's kind of working at, you know, he's working at Parker Industries. Harry Lyman. Uh, Lyman. The, his mother's maiden name. When was that established? Is this the first we've heard of this? I, I'm sure it was somewhere. Yeah. I don't think Slot would pull something like that out of thin air. Yeah. He's he's he's, he's too stuck on certain elements of continuity. 
I know there um, were some issues where we saw a young Norman Osborn and we've met Harry's mother in flashbacks before. I, I just honestly, when Lyman popped up, I was like, I'm sure I knew that at one point, but uh, you know, I, I couldn't remember it. Um, yeah. Um, but I was going to say, I mean, like, he doesn't necessarily do much here. I mean, he's, he's, I, I feel like the character is more to serve as a reminder of, you know, how Peter defines relationships and not just by saying he's my best friend 900 times, but like, I mean, like, like, I, I don't know, like I kind of saw, I, I, and I liked it. I, I, I saw Harry being there as like kind of a juxtaposition of like, you know, Peter might be a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever it is with building, you know, with company, with his company. But, you know, when it comes to his relationships, it's still like, you know, he has relationships as Peter, he has relationships as Spider-Man and things get complicated when they mix. Yeah. I, I, I like it, how he, there's a whole part where he's talking to Johnny Storm about, you know, uh, how he manages his relationships with people about like, who knows, you know, that he is Peter Parker and, and so on. And I like that, like, you know, this is a classic Peter thing to kind of micromanage his relationships about who knows what. And it always comes back to, you know, kick him in the butt. Uh, right. And then the fact that someone like Mockingbird and Nick Fury, you know, what are they, what does he refer to? They're one of the 16 or the 13 or whatever the like number is. 23 or something like that. Yeah. Right, right. You know, I mean, and these are not his friends, but, you know, they kind of, they, you know, for whatever reason, they need to know. So it's kind of like, oh, you know, like, so like his best, his best friend, best friend, best friend, say that a few more million times, uh, doesn't know, but these, these, these seemingly kind of, you know, cynical, I don't want to say strangers, they're not strangers, but you know, like shield people, I don't know. I wouldn't trust a shield person. Would you, Dan? No, not at all. But I also don't think there's any hiding that from shield people. Yeah, it's probably true. Although at the same time, <laughs> the shield seems pretty inept in this issue. Right. Well, they're relying on on Spider Man to kind of like be the 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 logistical voice of reason here. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, you know, that's not the right way to go. <laughs> well, let's let's get into that in a minute, and let's finish up the story with Torch. So we get this really nice moment where. You know, Peter says, well, look, if you were less of a jerk and you came in through the front door, you'd actually see that I, you know, I poured my heart out to your family and built a statue. Uh, of uh, well, you Alicia Masters, Alicia Masters. Yeah, sorry, statue. sorry. Alicia Masters did the statue. And um, and there it is in its in its shining glory. Uh, kids and all. Um, America's first family. Yeah. Uh, um. Beautiful. Wipe the tear from your eye, Dan. Come on. Stop being so cynical. I'm, no, I'm not being cynical at all. I actually thought it was a really like nice moment um, and one that really like made me go, okay, this book has got some substance to it. Yeah, I think so. I mean there are still, there are still things I think we're missing from Peter as a character, but like I don't know. Like we're getting moments through these first three issues that – I don't know, like these are the kinds of moments that we really weren't getting a lot in the ongoing Spider-Man book. I mean, we could talk about Renew Your Vows, but that almost just feels like its own animal, you know? But I know you're upset that we – well, I shouldn't say upset, but you're you're disappointed 
then we're not getting more introspection from Peter, right? Can yeah. you, you, want, you want to talk to that point? Sure. I mentioned this in the last episode where I said, you know, uh, I think a lot of what makes Peter Parker, a, a, you know, a fun character to read is that we'd often get like inside of his own head. You know, we get the the captains that describe what he's thinking. And uh, I, 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 right before we got started doing this, Mark, I was reading uh, Maximum Carnage. Of all things, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, that definitely, book, definitely a, a introspective story. <laughs> yeah, actually, more than you'd think, and right. to a point that it's kind of annoying uh, because every single punch that he swings, he's like got a five thought bubbles about it. Um, and it reminded me, I'm like, actually, I kind of like that to to a limited extent. But one of the things about this reboot is we've got none of that. Right. So we don't really know what Peter is thinking about his new role or like you know what what he's doing. We're approaching this from the outside. So and I, I said this before like that the book changed so dramatically and that we don't have a character that we're you know being able to access his feelings has kept me very much at a distance from Peter. And I don't know whether that's intentional or not, but um it does prevent you from kind of having, you know, an emotional connection with the character, although things like in this book, the two family clinging of of alcoholic and non alcoholic glasses is a nice start to getting us back into that friendly place that we you know and, and the comfort of friends and family that is the backbone of so many of these books I agree i mean you know and, and, and i 'm not defending it, but like i mean i, I I'm really you know three issues in i 'm really starting to get the sense that this is concerted and intentional that 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 you know, we're almost being made to have distance with the character. So I guess, you know, this comes down to what's, what's going to be the payoff to that. What's, what's the purpose of that? Um, but I, I agree. Um, and, and I, but like, like I said, I, my, my, I don't think it's an oversight. I think, I don't know. I think because there's so much unfamiliar with this status quo that, you know, we're still kind of, we're, we, the reader are still more observing it. You know, we're not, we're not supposed to be immersed in it. You know, like we're we're on the outside looking in right now. Yeah, it's it's just an interesting observation. I mean, we even got an email from our our, our frequent uh, uh, fan who writes in, Matt Strahd, who said, like, you know, this feels like I'm reading a team book. You know, uh, and I don't know if I would go that far, but uh, yeah, th- there is something there that's keeping me a little distant from the book. But you know. I'm willing to, like you said, I I think it's it's intentional, and I'm willing to wait and see what the reason for that is, if the, if there is one. Right. Um, do we want to talk about Shield and Zodiac stuff, or do we want to talk more Spider-Man character stuff? Because I know you wanted to talk about others, uh, another well, did, kind of. I did want to ask because I I was racking my brain about it. You know, there's this whole point where Peter is, um, uh, you know, he stresses that he doesn't want an alcoholic drink. And, you know, that's kind of a, a character of, of Peter that he doesn't drink. And um, except for maybe, the, you know, the one uh, a series of issues where he got drunk and hooked up with Michelle Rodriguez, although that yes. was retconned later that it wasn't actually alcoholic. Uh, somebody, yes. Yeah. Somebody slipped him the uh, 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 what's that brand of drink that's non-alcoholic. Like O'Doul's or something? Yeah, or, yeah, know. yeah. Or the one with the maid on the cover? Is that O'Doul's? I don't – It's probably yeah. O'Doul's. So, yes, Peter got the O'Doul's. But, um, yeah, I, I was thinking about this. Where did that originate? I, I, I don't 
remember it specifically being a point. I feel like I I remember and I've been reading a bunch of issues lately from this era like the like the 80 like right after he got married to MJ so like Michelini but also like the Jerry Conway um spectacular and web of stuff and I feel like that's a point that's made in those issues as well. This is not this is this has been around. Yeah, I, feel like I, this I is know like, it's been around. There's the one issue where someone uh, spikes the punch bowl, um, and Peter gets drunk, and uh, and that's it actually spawned the whole like drunk Pete meme on on Twitter where they do that event. Right. Um, and I'm I'm wondering maybe that was it. He decided to swear off alcohol after that that moment. Yeah, I don't know what the when you know when the exact moment is, but I just feel like. For years and years, he's refused drinks. Yeah, I guess listeners, if you know the history of Peter and alcohol, this is where we're going to get a, a bombarding of, of emails. We're, but yeah, well, I'm well, curious. Uh, well, let's 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 cut to the chase. Doc Doc Spidey, what, what's what's your take on this? Because <laughs> <laughs> he'll know. <laughs> yeah, he probably will. All right, so let's talk about Zodiac, shall we? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, I, I I feel bad, Dan, because like. They're they're kind of being written as these like dumb goons, which is funny and entertaining to read. They're kind of uh, dude broish. Yeah, they're kind of dude broish. Um, I don't know if it's appropriate. Um, and I don't mean like appropriate, like oh, I'm offended. I just mean like I don't, I don't, I don't. Does it work for the characters really? At the end of the, like like. What's funny? Yeah, yeah, it's funny, but should it be funny? I guess that's what it boils down to. I think and it's like, funny in the last issue because it was like their lackeys, right? But here, the main threat, like the guys who were supposed to be terrified, are talking in such a manner, right? And, and that kind of takes you out of it, especially considering that they like take down Shield like pages later. Yeah, it, it just it, it, it they take down Shield, and yet I still don't take them seriously as a threat. Like, like I don't feel like Spider Man is in peril here because of these guys. I don't know. Like, I just feel like they're gonna trip up, and it, it, it's you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and like, I when when have Dude Bros ever been that effective? They couldn't even take down bad ethics and game journalism. <laughs> Oh no! I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I just snorted in the microphone. Um, yeah, I, I and and I mean, and just to kind of further this point, like the the, the character renderings are are hilarious. Like of all the different signs of the zodiac, like I, I really am enjoying them visually. But like, I don't know, it's just not working for me in terms of like this being the main villain of the book. And 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 you know, we've had three issues in a row now where we've hinted at the return of some very classic rogues of Spider-Man. So, and that's clearly, you know, what what the long game is going to bring in, but like, you know, like the threat is with that, not with what we're actually reading about, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? That you know, like I'm more I'm more concerned about you know, when is Doc Ock going to return and what's up with Rhino and now Norman Osborn rather than, you know, these Zodiac clowns. Yeah, right. And, you know, even the the solicits for the next few issues seem very like, you know, uh, Green Goblin focused, you know. Uh, right. So I wonder when this is – the end of this book implies that that's what uh, Spidey and the Human Torch are off to deal with. Um 
I wonder if we're going to get this story wrapped up or if it's just going to kind of linger in the background for a while. But it doesn't just linger in the background. It's a substantial page count of this book. Uh, it, it deals with these guys. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's I mean, to me, this more this subplot more than anything else is kind of like the storyline that ties the first three issues together. I mean, you know, like it, this 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 comic is kind of interesting in that in many ways it's very self-contained. I feel like you could just pick this up um and get an understanding of the new dynamics and and get a story that you know, you don't don't necessarily need to read on to to get something out of but all the same like this zodiac storyline is kind of like you know when in that writing for the paper for the trade uh kind of mindset it's this zodiac thing that ties these stories together you know that's going to make it the, the the first six issue arc but you know the the stuff away from it can all kind of serve on its own if that makes sense yeah, and you know it's not it's not a bad thing. I, I like I like that there's something broader going on. But I, I also have to admit, like, uh, and I know that you said this in your review is I love uh, these standalone standalone Spider-Man stories. I think that was the best part about Brand New Day. Yeah, I feel that this and and this is very similar to Brand New Day in that that I feel like this plays to Slot's strengths as a writer. I think that he gets tripped up trying to make the whole narrative. Um, be this one six seven part arc. I mean, think about the first arc of Volume Three. I mean, like you know, with Electro and Black Hat, and like it just it it, it continued to lose steam as every issue went along. Whereas with this, I mean, yeah, there are some highs and lows, and it sounds like you've liked this you you like this issue the least so far. I, for me, it's probably right in the middle of the first and the second issue. Um. You know, like I, I feel it's more consistent by not having to tie all these things together, like like a like a like a six part trade paperback. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I mean, like Slot's not Bendis. You know, Bendis has these kind of very long, detailed character things where Slot just packs as much as he can in, like you know the old Stanley days. You know, and and yeah, I think you can tell a story in a book. Rather than telling it over six, where it just you, six issues kind of reveals that there's not much going on there. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Uh, um, so let's talk about this final page of this uh, book. Yeah. We've got uh, this we African warlord from this country that I've never heard of before. Yeah, fictional country. I'm assuming it's like Nadua or something like that. Sounds sounds about right. And. Uh, I, I I read some 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 like people on the internet upset about how this African warlord was portrayed that you know and wor- and worries that as we travel around the world are people going to be portrayed in the broadest of stereotypes and I don't know that I felt that this was a stereotype I mean certainly Africa has plenty of warlords um I mean yeah that's just I... true um but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just something that I think to keep in mind about how Dan Slott handles visualizing these cultures. But uh, I thought this was fine. So we got this African warlord who apparently is complaining that Parker Industries is going to bring energy to his country. Right, and only he can control the power. And then surprise, Mark. Yeah, we have uh, the man without a face. 
<laughs> we have we have uh, the 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 Irish looking mustached uh, villain. No, no, wait, what was, <laughs> he looked like a trucker, kind of. Uh, what was it? What, what was something Banks? Uh, what was, Mason what was Banks. It? Mason Banks. No, it's Norman Osborn. Norman Osborn people. And I'm assuming that, you know we're not we're not there, there's no there's no doubt being cast there, right? I mean, no, I, I heard some people being like, "What if it's Harry under the mask or something like that?" And because, but no, it's Norman Osborn. But I guess we're suspecting he's going back to his old face. Yeah, or or you know he's gonna show up as something completely different. He comes you know? out like he's like a different race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh this, man, that would be so silly. He looks like a different WWE superstar this time. He went from Sheamus to 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 John Cena now. I, I have uh, to admit that I was uh, a little disappointed that when Harry returned, he wasn't Breaking Bad Harry Osborn. I know, I know. That was that was that was an inspired turn when they did that a couple of years ago. <laughs> but um, we're never going to get an explanation for that. No, well, yeah, we need one. Um, <laughs> But, he and his father went through the same operation, getting complete I, makeovers. Well, you know, if, if if any two characters would go through the same thing, it would certainly be the Osbournes. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, and like I said, this I, mean, I, I liked. It's a good. It's another good legitimate surprise. If I had, if I have to be critical, I would just say, like, I mean, this is this is the same exact ending that we've had three times over now in terms of the surprise returns of of classic rogues, you know? Um, so, um, while, whereas I appreciate again, the long game establishment, you know, can we, can we do something a little different? In this the is also probably the least interesting one. Um, well, least interesting how, in terms well, of I mean, how like Ock returning is, you know, that's got a lot of, there's a lot of intrigue around that. People want to know where his body went, how he's going to come back, you know, the rhino coming back and right. from the dead, you know, and his wife apparently being alive. That's really intriguing. And here it's just like, yep, Norman Osborn still exists. Right. Um, but but Norman Osborn is still, I mean, you know, he's he's the arch nemesis. So, I mean. I got to say, um, one of the things that I hope that this story is setting up since there's this whole kind of part of this book that's about who knows Peter's identity yeah. Um, I really think that Norman Osborn has been a substantially less interesting character after Brand New Day and him not knowing Peter's identity. I think it really takes away from him a lot of what made him Peter's arch nemesis. And yeah. I hope that this is like, you know, that I, I, I mean, sorry, Peter, but I want Norman to know who you are because it makes the stories a lot more interesting. Well, there's time, and more, it seems like more and more characters are learning the truth. So, I mean, you know, we don't have blind spots anymore. Sure. You want to touch on anything else before we get into grades? You want to talk about this Peter intelligence thing, Dan? Yeah, sure. I got into a conversation with a guy in our comment section, which I like getting into conversations in the comments. And we typically have a pretty good, um, you know, uh, feedback from people in our comment sections. Um, but he kind of took issue with uh i guess both of our opinions that about peter's uh you know this this change being a you know monumental change and peter's intellect kind of being surprising uh, and this is something i've maintained i think the whole time that we've talked about dan slot's run on the character 
um, is that I just never thought that Peter's intellect was quite to the level that is portrayed in these comics. I mean, I've always felt that, um, you know, part of being Spider-Man, like Peter's smarts and his pursuit of education and being a scientist is one of the things that he had to sacrifice to be Spider-Man. It's part of the tragedy of the character. Um, but I never felt like he was giving up Reed Richards level smarts. And I wanted to run that by you, Mark. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, when, when we did the big time era, I mean, obviously with horizon labs, there was like a lot of inventions and tech and stuff like that. But like, I don't know. You can kind of no prize that away by talking about, um, you know, he had the support staff of, of Horizon. I mean, the fact that he's doing all these things kind of on his own um, or or he's leading these efforts is a little surprising to me, right? Yeah, yeah. And this person in the comments said, no, he's always been that smart. And yes, Peter did invent the web shooters and he did invent the anti-magnet device. I think that was more of a reflection of science at the time and fiction at the time that Stan Lee was writing where like the book just was more whimsical and weird than it would be. You know, that's issue two. He invents the anti-magnet device, you know, Uh, but I've never felt like Peter was smart and he could, you know, work with gadgets. But was he inventing you know, limitless energy for the planet. I, I don't know. He wasn't Tony Stark. I mean, let's go. Let's let's you know, not beat around the bush. You know what I mean? And and, and we're Reed Richards. I mean, that's the the other good one. But I mean, like uh, in terms of technology, I mean, he certainly wasn't Tony Stark either. Um, I guess my and- question to you then would be: Was that a function of him being distracted by being Spider Man, or was it a function of not limited intelligence, but not quite the intellectual match of those characters. Well, I mean, there was always the sense that he was not reaching his intellectual potential. So, I mean, yeah, maybe you could say that with this new status quo, he has more time to focus his energy and can thus do these things. But, um, I mean, ultimately I agree. I mean, obviously I agree with you because I think it was in one of my reviews where the, the criticism came, but you know, it's just, I mean, I, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I mean, when I was when one of the things I was talking about in the recent run of issues beyond even just the scientific expertise was just the the strategic and tactical um, intelligence um, and intuition that he's been d- demonstrating through the first few issues. That to me is completely foreign. It's and like kind of like sup- the beginning of Superior. Yeah, I I, I don't see. You know, and you can make the case that he quote unquote became a leader in Spider Verse, which I still disagree with, and you know, very, very passionately. How um, passionately, Mark? Very, very passionately. <laughs> um, but you know, even if I just have to accept that that is what happened, and you know, to to question it is to be a fool. Um, it's it just this this level of cerebral kind of. Like I said, tactical expertise is is not something that I have ever associated with this character in any way. 
Well, I got to tell you, I laughed out loud reading this comic when uh, Nick Fury Jr., who I still have a hard time accepting as a reality, when they when they say, you know, we need to call up Spider-Man and Peter Parker and get them in on our plans to take down Zodiac because we need our best strategic thinkers. And I was thinking to myself, then you're thinking of the wrong guy. Nobody rushes into a battle faster than Spider-Man does without thinking. Uh, <laughs> so... But yeah. <laughs> um, you want to get to grades, Dan? Yeah, sure. What 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 was your grade on this? Uh, I I I to me this was a solid, good issue, so I gave it a B. And you know, I was thinking this is just slightly above average, but talking to you, you made me a little more positive on it. I don't know, Mark, if it's just our positivity, but uh, yeah, I'm giving this one a B minus. Okay, I, I'm glad I can move move you up the needle a little bit. Yeah, okay? just, just this one goes to. Seven. All right. We're it's just because we're such good friends, Dan. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You're, you're you're my best friend, Dan. My best friend. My best friend. <laughs> well, uh, really? Um. Well, you know, you're my you're my best friend as in in the podcast world. Oh, I get, uh, I get it. I get it. There's a limited there's a limited reach that I have an understanding of you. Well, you know, when I'm when I'm in costume, I have another friend, best friend. <laughs> Speaking of our friends. Let's get to comments and emails. <laughs> yes. So, of course, everyone, you can um, – we encourage you to leave comments on our iTunes and uh, Stitcher pages. And you can do that by uh, searching on our podcast, Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, and while you're there, also uh, subscribe to us so you can get us every week in your podcast feed. I mean, what's better than that? Uh, if you want to email us a question, hit us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. Or you could also tweet to us uh, at either of our addresses, which will, well, your sub spider talk. I'm at Chasing ASM blog and just hashtag it okay to print. Uh, Dan, you want me to take this first one here? Yeah, go for it, Mark. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, seems to be kind of a continuation from a question that was posed to us uh, last episode. Uh, it's from uh, Vince. He writes, loving the podcast, still looking forward to what you've got in store for, uh, oh boy, that's an acronym that I don't know. That's the uh, Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, Mark. Oh my goodness, FNSMC. Originally, I was going to tell you to edit this out, but I think it's funny that I didn't understand that and I just got forced to say it again. Um <laughs> So uh, Vince continues, heard the question from your listener, Brendan, on Amazing Spider Talk, Volume 4, Episode 2. I have an answer for you and him that this is the question about uh, like a Dan Slot style script, right? Where can we find something like that? Yeah. Uh, so the special edition digital exclusive of Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 3, Issue 1, which I uh, bought through Comixology back when it came out, includes the full issue as well as Ramos's unlettered, uncolored art, both pencil and ink versions, and then also includes Slot's original script, which is his version of a Marvel-style plot, even though it's far more detailed than a Stan Lee-style plot. Uh, we, he took some screenshots, which I'm assuming Dan can embed in your, your device here, unless Apple has changed the rules again. No, nope, uh, I, I can do that, although it might be too small for you to read. So if you go to superiorspidertalk.com, uh, the, the page for this podcast episode, I'll have all the pictures there for you to check out. Okay, great. 
Uh, so anyway, we'll pass this on to Brendan and to everyone else if they want to get a look at what a slot Marvel-style script looks like. So thanks, Vince, for pointing that out. Yeah, I got to say, though, Mark, um, I, I read through the, the pictures that Vince sent, and Dan Slott's plotting was far more detailed than um, than I thought it would be. It really is literally a panel-by-panel breakdown of what visuals are going to be in it, um, you know, like a pretty detailed at times. Um, except for the dialogue. So, I mean, yeah, it, it seemed a lot more detailed than I had imagined it being described to me. You know, and yet he's still, I mean, Slot in interviews will be the first to say that what he does is still more old school than what a lot of modern writers do. So, yeah, I'm I mean, sure it is, yeah. So kind of, I don't know. <laughs> like, I think there's a there's a great story on the um, Let's Talk Comics, Comics podcast where slot was you know going talking with ed brubaker about process now brubaker obviously is a very intense writer i would say is that a fair assessment sure i don't think anybody has more like detailed complicated plots than like brubaker does so you know it's slots telling him about his process and brubaker's response is like yeah but but then who writes the comic Um, so, uh, you know, enough said, I guess, as, as Stan would say, Hey Dan, why don't we get to this next one? Sure. Our next question comes from Dallas, um, who says, I just started listening to your podcast and I've noticed you playing the theme songs to Spider-Man, the animated series and unlimited Spider-Man, which means Dallas is still listening to our superior spider talk episode. So Dallas, you might not hear this for another couple months until you catch up, but, uh, here's your question. Um, so my question is, do you know if there are plans to ever release the seasons of these cartoons on DVD? I love the podcast so far. I'm only on episode 10, so keep it up. So uh, Dallas has got about – I'm guessing by the time he reaches this episode, he'll have like 80-some episodes <laughs> he's caught up on. But uh, Dallas, maybe the DVDs exist by now, but I suspect not. I, d- I doubt any of these will ever be released on DVD. Uh, mainly because I think the time for DVDs has passed. Um, but there were some bootleg copies of these you could get on DVD. And I know Spider-Man the Animated Series and Unlimited Spider-Man used to be – or Spider-Man Limited rather – used to be on Netflix Watch Instantly. But they're no longer there. Um, but I did some research into this and um, you can uh, buy – uh, seasons of the shows for um, about fifteen dollars a season on iTunes. So if you want to do it legally, you know that would be the way to do it. Um, I did though send an email to friend of the show John Semper Jr., the producer of Spider-Man the Animated Series and writer of many episodes um, about it. So um, we'll be likely doing another episode with him and Christopher Daniel Barnes at the beginning of next year, and it's definitely something that I plan on addressing with him when he joins us. So thanks for the question. I'll give you a much more detailed answer from the mouth of the guy who created the show in a couple months' time. Excellent. Well, Dan, we're out of emails. Should we uh, take it on home? I think it's time to wrap up the show. So, of course, uh, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And please be sure to leave us a comment on iTunes. We haven't gotten one in which seems like months, uh, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking about the show. If you're new or if you're old, uh, you know, let us know what you think. 
Yeah. Um, and then also be sure to check out our Facebook pages because uh, it's a great place to join our community of fans and read about more of our writing. And, you know, every once in a while, Dan and I, uh, you know, will share um, what's what's something weird we would share on Facebook, Dan? Our I favorite mean, kind of macaroni and cheese. Ooh, but just not the bacon jalapeno kind that might get you thrown out of a college. I like the <laughs> I like the bacon and jalapeno kind. Do you I, know wa- I want my I want my bacon and jalapeno. We talked about it on the show, Mark. Oh, did we? And then oh, I promptly sorry. went and watched it, and it was amazing. <laughs> okay, sorry. I, I don't mean to like act like my father or something, like repeating myself. Um, I even included a link to it in the show with a picture of the kid. There you go. Okay, you you linked to it in the show. I did. Okay, you know, I, I listen to these on the subway, so the links don't always come up. Oh, yeah. Okay, anyway, <laughs> continue on with our with our monologue here, Dan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there is a sidetrack, but uh, speaking of sidetracks, if you want to follow the side adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales, of course, check out The Ultimate Spin, hosted by Brian, Kyle, and Noor. They're kind of only covering uh, Spider-Gwen right now, because we found out this week that Miles isn't coming back until February, uh, which what? is kind of crazy to me. What are you going to do, Dan? Well, they're still not even done Ultimate End. That's not ending till like, January because I guess they're trying to tie it in with the end of Secret Wars. But what a what a crazy kerfuffle here. Oh, that's right. They didn't end that thing, did they? No. it's Everybody is waiting on bated breath to see how that terrible series ends. I know, right? Like it's it's it, it was so compelling that I didn't even realize it wasn't over. <laughs> um, you can say that about a lot of those Secret War series. Um, as always, our theme song is courtesy of Rylan Bojack, and our outro song comes from Magic. And also, special thanks to Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumser, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema for our show's awesome artwork. Uh, next week, we've got our next Essentials podcast. And uh, I know last time was Mark's pick, but we're also going to go with another of Mark's picks again because we wanted to do an episode that's related to this particular issue we just talked about. So, Mark, why don't you let them know what we're going to be discussing on next week's episode? No. Oh, well, okay. You'll just have to tune in and find out. (laughs) <laughs> I'm kidding. And we're gonna we're gonna do the 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 five part Spider Man Human Torch miniseries by Dan Slott and Ty Templeton. Is that available in uh, paperback form, Mark? You can probably find that on paperback. You can find that on Marvel Unlimited, Comicsology. This is this is this is should be an easy to find series. Yeah, and uh, not to get too ahead of ourselves here, I love this series. So if you haven't read it, you know, subscribe to Marvel Unlimited or pick it up. I think you're gonna. Uh, really enjoy it, especially if you enjoy Dan Slott's writing. As I said, this is this was pretty much the first full Dan Slott Spider-Man story, not counting like when he showed up in Red and Stimpy and stuff like that. So, sure, sure. Um, um, so that's that's historic in its own right. What about on uh, Twitter, Dan? Where can we find you? And not just Twitter, but all over the internet. Well, let's just talk about Twitter this time. You can find me on Twitter at, at Dan Gavazdan or my Spider-Man account at sup spider talk uh that's where we kind of announce all the writing that we do uh and other random thoughts i have about conventions i kind of went on a rant this past week about conventions um so you can find that all there and of course you can go to superior spider talk.com for all of our awesome spider-man coverage man i missed those rants dan 
You got to go check him out, Mark. I think I'll be. I haven't, you know what? I've been kind of licking my wounds and not on Twitter ever since the Mets got embarrassed in the World Series uh, recently. So, um, you know, I haven't haven't been on the social media as a bunch. So, um, yeah. I've missed you, Mark. I've missed you. But if when you do decide to rise like a phoenix, like the Mets next year, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, well, you can find me at Chasing ASM Blog. Um, and then, of course, you can find all my delectable Spidey writings at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. We're still, we're still working our way through Mackie Byrne Run Volume 2 Review. I mean, I'd say we're about halfway through. Does that sound about right to you, Dan? God help us. Please make it halfway through at least. You know, what's odd is... I've, I, I don't know if it's just because, like, I've grown numb to it, but, like, I've, I've, I've actually found, like, the further into this, the more I'm liking the stories, <laughs> which I don't remember the first time happening. So, um, you know, I guess I'm being more forgiving in my old age. I don't know. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm really enjoying your go through this. I started reading along with you, and I, I agree with you mostly on, on almost all of the pieces you've written. So it's been a fun journey, and, you know, if you got up time to read Spider-Man Human Torch, you know, Read along with Mark and I doing this volume two review. It's been uh, an interesting journey so far. Like that Flash Mysterio issue wasn't bad, right? No, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I was like, I, I don't know. Like I thought it was one of the most interesting Flash stories we've, we, we had gotten from that era, you know? So, um, anywho. So that's, that's where you can find me. Well, you know, Mark, we've been friends for a good time now. Uh, pretty much the length of the time we've been doing this podcast, which... I don't know if we've said it on the show. It's been over three years now. Can you believe that? Yes. <laughs> every oh, every painful seems, moment of it. <laughs> it seems like just yesterday, Dan. I mean, oh, my goodness. Woo. Woo. No, I got to say, just like Johnny and Peter Mark, we often get into our own playful disagreements uh, and typically erupt into horrible fights, ones where we destroy the building that we're in, often to the sum of hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage. You know, I'll never forget that one time that I won a fight that we were having about whether or not annuals counted. I mean, obviously they do count, you know. All right, you know what, Mister Mister Annual Fancy Pants, I'm 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 a little sick of your lip, okay? You know, with the with the annuals, and you get Zeke to harass me on Twitter uh, you, you know, about something that with the annuals. Uh, you know what, and 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 you know, you get your own little avatar drawn of yourself on Twitter. You don't get one drawn of me. What's that about? Am but I not your? It's partner because in this? annuals count, and the artists recognize that they recognize that annuals count, and so they give me free artwork because. They're like, this dude knows what's up. You know, I think you're just a little too friendly with the artists. Uh, what are you going to be replacing me with uh, Ron Friends on this show one of these days or something? Or maybe maybe your buddy uh, DeFalco, uh, maybe he'll be uh, sitting next to you. I know what you're up to, and I don't like it. I'm going I'm to kick your rear, buddy. I think Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco did a pretty great annual back in the day. So uh, maybe they can be- support me here. Annuals, 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 annuals. Don't count, don't count, don't count. Annuals, don't. annuals, annuals. Oh! Ah! <coughs> ah!